Well, here we go. Playing uh, tug of war with the Oklahoma City Thunder for first place. Uh, we have let a number of teams, when I say we, I mean the Minnesota Timberwolves, have led a number of teams back into the race. The Clippers are who we thought they are. Denver is the defending champs and acting like it. Oklahoma City showing no signs of going away. And for a young team, oftentimes playing more mature in the fourth quarters than our hometown Wolves, who have some veterans on their team, uh, have played. And I have some thoughts about that. Uh, and we're going to start with Oklahoma City Thunder this week as we recap the week's games going back to last Monday. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You are tuned in to the Coach and the Culture Podcast. I am Coach Frank, and I'm joined, as always, by my son, the owner-proprietor of Yes! Exclamation Point Trees, Mr. Lance Gardner. What's happening? What's up? Another week. More stuff to talk about. Timberwolves are, uh... yeah, we'll talk about them. Um, <laughs> it's the mid-season yeah. roll. <laughs> yeah, they're you know, like Nasri said. Nasri said it's a long season, which it is. Yes, um, it but is. they are. They're not quite looking like the number one, number one team in the West, potentially fighting for the number one team in the league. They're not looking like that right now. 11 and 8 since January 1st. We've been talking about it for a couple of weeks, how the new year has not been kind to the hometown Timberwolves. And, of course, we have making us sound good every week. If you turn into the tune into the podcast, whether you tune into the live uh, recording episodes on YouTube or you tune in on Apple or Spotify or iTunes or stitcher or audible wherever you tune in if you like the way we sound in my opinion we always sound better when i listen back than i think that we sound when we're uh recording live and that is the work the hard work of the super producer himself lloyd leon coop who has a way with audio and video to make us look and sound way better than we do in person what's happening <laughs> <laughs> what's up, man? how you doing I'm doing well, man. You know, I teased on one of our uh, episode starters or episode um, promos on Twitter. I said people got to tune in and watch us on YouTube. One of us is the uh, one of us is the handsome one, and the other one of us knows basketball. And uh, I think we know that Lance is definitely the handsome one, the supermodel, you know. And I'm and I'm the dad <laughs> that knows basketball. Got it from somewhere. Uh, well, I appreciate that, son. I appreciate that. Yeah, maybe when I was your age and had a lot less belly and a lot more uh, whitening of the teeth. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are tuned in once again to the Coach in the Culture podcast, and we have a, a hefty week to talk about for the week that was for our Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, starting with a big-time win at Oklahoma City, in a lot of ways, I think, a statement win. Uh, they continue to rise to the occasion in those playoff atmospheres against teams that, um, whether it be Boston in the Eastern Conference, who they would only see in the finals, or whether it be Oklahoma City or the L.A. Clippers, uh, potential Western Conference finals or Western Conference playoffs foes. Um, they continue to rise to the occasions against those teams. Um 
you know, we'll, we'll get to the Orlando game to finish the week. Orlando is a very good basketball team when healthy, uh, but some old bugaboos have jumped up and bit the Timberwolves yet again. So we'll get there eventually. But uh, in, in lieu of the short time that we have with Lance this week, let's get going right away, man. Let's talk about the Oklahoma City Thunder on Monday. The um, what day was that? Monday, January. What day are we on now? 29th, was it? 28th, 29th, something like that. 29th. Yeah. I knew I knew I wasn't too sorry. Far. I was I was I, muted, but yes, yeah, the 29th. It's all good. So the Timberwolves come out of Oklahoma City, ending their road trip after a ugly loss to the Spurs. Uh, they come back on Monday to start the week with the 107-101 win at Oklahoma City, a game in which they reversed their late their uh, fourth quarter trends of late, executed down the stretch. There's a lot to talk about in terms of the execution down the stretch. And I think the biggest thing which you kind of expected to happen in a game against Oklahoma City, a game in which they need to tie the season series, a game in which they need to get some get back from Oklahoma City coming into Target Center and stealing one. They were able to go to Oklahoma City and steal one. And I think sense of urgency is the phrase that I used on Twitter. And that game, there uh, seemed to be a sense of urgency in their fourth quarter execution. What did you as a player see, Lance? Um, I saw a lot of made shots. Um, <laughs> and I think that... Um, they limited their turnovers. They only had 13 turnovers, which we've talked about since the day one, and that you know they've had way too many turnovers. So they limited their turnovers, and they made timely shots, um, which is what I feel like um, timely shots especially has gotten us to the point where we are now. Um, in these big games, when we are having to meet the challenge of teams that you know come in and, and are, are talented, um, the Wolves have done a good job of making timely shots. Um, and that happened again in OKC here. Their defense uh, was stifling again. It looked like, you know, they had a concerted effort to get out there and play some defense again. Um, a lot of good things, uh, but they also shot 48% from the three-point line. And like I said, a lot of shots um, they needed to make um, to, to keep their lead. Um, and so it, it was better. Um, you know, you still only score 107 points. The Timberwolves offense has, has not been very electric for most of the year. Um, but, you know, this this is a resemblance of how they started the year. I mean, their defense, like I said, kept them in the game. Like I said, when you have these, you know, in previous podcasts, I've said when you have these 102 to 104 games, you have these 98 to 102 games. This this instance, you have a 107 to 101 they hit their timely shots. They played really good defense, and that's what's gotten them to the you know being tied for first the way they are. And after you know eleven, and you said they're they're eleven and eight since the since the new year, mm -hmm. and most of those games that they have lost, uh, their defense has gone down. Um, they're they're not playing as intense anymore, um, and their 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 decision making and timely shot making has all decreased. And so now instead of having a comfortable lead in first, we're now officially in second. Yeah, and there's a couple of things that I think are common themes when you look at the Oklahoma City game, and you and you talk about timely shot making. Uh, first and foremost, players tend to make shots when the ball comes on time on target. 
So that's first mm-hmm. of all. Um, and second of all, players make shots when they are mentally engaged throughout the course of a game. And I think you have both of those things in the Oklahoma City game. Obviously, you're coming off of a bad loss against the Spurs, so I don't think there's any problems for the coaching coaching staff to get the players' attention. But when you look at the stretch run of that Oklahoma City game, coming down the stretch from the point where the game was tied, and and you mentioned it, I think we talked the day after the game how you know it was it was some heavyweight punches being landed by both teams in that fourth quarter, big shot after big shot, big three after big three by both teams. Uh, Mike Conley not playing in that game, uh, but Nikhil just who has a knack for just being fearless in the moment, mm-hmm. making timely fourth quarter shots. Cat um, with a big fourth quarter three. Jaden, of course, uh, one of the bigger threes of the game in the fourth quarter. Ant with a big fourth quarter three. But you know, a couple of things that we've been talking about on the show that I thought were um, very uh, in in evidence uh, in that particular game. One is we talked in previous games about how there was no sense of urgency in the fourth quarter, how they would mm-hmm. saunter across the timeline, oftentimes only getting into their action with 10 seconds left on the shot clock, not leaving a lot of time for players to make decisions, right, uh, late in the clock, having to pretty much catch a hand grenade and shoot it or Ant having to force up a tough shot because he's dribbled out the shot clock. If you notice in that particular game, you did not see very many possessions in the fourth quarter that started with 10 seconds on the shot clock. All the key possessions that they scored on started, uh, they started initiating their offense in between 18 and 14 seconds left on the shot clock. That's huge. I think there was one possession they went into action with around 18 seconds on the shot clock. The ball started on the right side of the floor. They were able to swing the ball all the way down, all the way around to the opposite side of the floor and then go inside to Rudy, who had a seal um, on a duck in. Uh, on the backside to dunk right on Chet's head because when Rudy catches the ball under the basket, there's nothing a defender can do. Those were the type of plays that weren't happening in the fourth quarter in their previous meltdowns because you don't have enough time to make that type of ball rotation when you're starting your offense with 10 seconds on the shot clock. You know, the shot heard around the world, the play where Anthony Edwards goes and dunks on Shea, uh, Shea Gillis-Alexander, and they don't call the foul and, you know, it's the play that sparked all the controversy and, Ant, you know, cost Ant $40,000 for his post-game comments about the officiating, uh, which I don't want to get into too much because I feel like people have been beating that horse all week long. But what I would like to point out on that particular play was how early and quickly they got the ball across the timeline and how early they went into the action so that their floor was spread. It's kind of what we talked about really in the first Oklahoma, in the Oklahoma City game at Target Center. They got down the floor. They got to their positions on the floor. The floor was spread. I think he went into that action with like 16 seconds left on the shot clock. Oklahoma City setting up for the screen game with Rudy out high, and he goes early, turns down the screen. The lane is open. I mean, you could drive a truck down the middle of the lane and he gets all the way to the rim for a dunk. That doesn't happen if you're starting, you know, if you're sauntering across half court and you're starting your offense with 10 seconds left on the shot clock, you don't get the opportunity to make that particular play. Uh, same mm-hmm. with the out three to Jaden McDaniels. I believe they went into that action with around 14, 15 seconds left on the shot clock and Ant goes and gets off it early, 
you know, gets off it early, hits Jaden right in the shooting pocket on time, on rhythm, uh, and Jaden hits a big three. That Those are plays, those are shots that are made and plays that happen when you have a sense of urgency about how you're getting up the floor, how you're getting into your set, and um, making quick decisions as opposed to pounding the ball, trying to hunt your own opportunity as opposed to um, – you know, letting the play develop uh, um, in front of you and just making the right play. And that's a theme of the week and the wins and the losses. Um, the other thing I want to point out is, you know, we are consistently talking about Jaden McDaniels and his rebounding and his activity and how that is a barometer for the team's success. Um, going into that fourth quarter, Jaden McDaniels had eight points, uh, nine points and two rebounds. He ends up the game with 14 points and three rebounds. You know, we've asked for four to five rebounds a game from Jaden McDaniels. We're literally asking for one and a quarter rebounds per quarter. Can you get us one mm -hmm. rebound per quarter? I don't think that's asking a whole lot from somebody with his size and athleticism. Lo and behold, he knocks down the big three and he crashes from the corner instead of sitting out there standing and watching. And he gets a massive tip in that really might have been the play that is the difference in that game. Because if they don't, you know, get that tip in, and I think that gave them a two possession lead at that point in time, which put <clears throat> pressure on Oklahoma City. So we talk about Jaden McDaniels. You know, that one offensive rebound, which we've been asking for, go get offensive rebounds, that'll get your scoring up. That one offensive rebound for two points and that one three-point shot that he made, all of a sudden, that's five points and a rebound in the quarter. And all we've been asking Jaden to do is basically do that every quarter. Go get three to five points every quarter and go get one rebound, maybe one and a half rebounds per quarter. I don't I just don't think that's too much to ask when you're playing 30 plus minutes a night, you know, and so when he does that, you see the outcome. And so, you know, when you talk about the Oklahoma City game, that was a game that we know when Anthony Edwards is dialed in and when Jaden McDaniels is dialed in, the Timberwolves are really, 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 really difficult to beat. Their success hinges on the kids. And that Oklahoma City game, and we're going to talk about it, the Orlando game, the antithesis of that um, is just key examples of how their success is on the kids. Uh, and so when Ant plays team-oriented ball, gets off it quick, gets into actions quick, when Jaden is aggressive, when Jaden is attacking the glass on both ends, whether it's the rip and run to create pace and tempo going defense to offense transition or whether it's using his size and matchup advantage to not just sit in the corner and watch but to actually attack the offensive glass especially from the opposite side um the timberwolves are i think quite easily a number one seed we don't get that from the kids night in and night out and we don't get it in fourth quarters night in and night out but when they feel like they have to win a game and you talked about it in last week's podcast they always tend to bounce back when they stumble and feel like they have to win a game and what they've shown is when they have to win a game they mm -hmm. go win a game we need the kids yeah. to feel like they have to win more often yep i agree and if we you know, one thing before we move forward the uh you look at the box score for that game, like you were stating, Jaden had 14 points, Rudy had 
twelve, Cat had twenty one, Nikhil had twelve, Anthony Edwards had twenty seven, Nas Reed nine, J Mac with two huge three pointers that we have not to mention, but he made t- talk about timely shots. Um, Jordan McLaughlin, huge game, yes. and also a a not to cut you off, but also a um, a snippet, a snapshot of what this team looks like if they get consistent backup point guard play with that bench unit. You know, Nas is always going to give you something, but, you know, they get 21 points off the bench. But when you get four for four shooting, 10 points and assists, you know, you only had one turnover and that's rare for him to even have one turnover. Um, You know, if they can get consistent backup point guard play, that makes a difference. And in a game you have to have, they got that from Jordan McLaughlin. Yep. Um, And so that's the reason I bring up that box score is just because that's, that's what the Timberwolves are going to need to look like scoring wise if they want to win a championship, right? We talked about Ant and Cat playing well together. Well, they actually did that in this game. Um, they're missing, you know, Mike Conley. Nikhil's, I think he's averaging, what, 11, 10? Oh, he's only averaging seven. Um, okay. But, so, but, that, but I, I would be curious to see how much that average goes up on in games that he starts, I right, believe. Right. Uh, 11 points a game in games that he starts and plays some Mike Conley. Right. So insert Mike Conley back into that lineup. You get an extra seven points out of kill. You get Mike Conley's average of 10, 11 points. Now you're you're up to about 113, 114 points, which the Timberwolves have shown when they are locked in on defense is enough to win games. Um, and so this is a great barometer to use when you're looking for what the Timberwolves need to do night in and night out, what their numbers need to look like on a daily basis, this is a game that they actually did that. They shared the ball. Um, you know, it, it was a it was a good game. Um, take that shared the ball actually away. They only had 21 assists, um, which is below their average. Um, but they were again not turning the ball over, and they were making the right the right play, the right decision. So you. Um, and they were making shots. I mean, they were both teams were making shots. Um, but that's the barometer that should be looked at when you're looking for how we need the Timberwolves to score to win to win it consistently. And let's keep in mind, Oklahoma City is a top ten defense. I think they're sixth in the defensive rating. So you're looking at a playoff style basketball game. I was listening to the Dane Moore podcast, and um, that Dane and, and his guests were having a conversation about. Um, the um, effective scoring uh, offensive efficiency rating in the playoffs amongst championship teams. And, you know, most championship teams scoring comes down from the regular season anywhere from three to five points a game come playoff. Mm -hmm. I actually don't think the Timberwolves offensive rating is going to come down much during playoff times. I think that you're going to see it, it see, be, see it be very steady from regular season to playoffs. Yeah, um, I'd agree with that. I think that the fourth quarter execution is going to determine how far they go, which then leads me back to, and we'll get back to it against and when we talk about the Orlando game, their fate hinges on the kids, you know, mm-hmm. and how the kids execute in the fourth quarter. 
because I just don't think they're they're not a team that plays a regular season style where you say, okay, well, they get out run up and down the floor. They score 118 points a game during the regular season. Teams are going to game plan for how they score those points in the playoffs, and they're going to come down to 113, 114 when the game slows down the way that it generally does come playoff time. I think other teams are going to try to speed the Timberwolves up in the playoffs because a slow down game is a comfortable game for them. And so I don't really think that you're going to see their scoring fluctuate very much, even with the type of game planning that happens in the playoffs. And I think that the struggles that they're having right at this point in time of the season, especially with fourth quarter offense, if they can fix those struggles as they come down the stretch that's actually going to bode well for their playoff chances because i think their defense is going to ratchet up night in and night out in the playoffs and i don't think their offense is going to go up any but i don't think it's going to come down much either but right so they played yep they went on and played dallas uh two nights later with no luca no Kyrie, no Derek Lively Jr. No, nobody. They had four of their <laughs> yeah, four of their starting. <laughs> yeah, but starting wise, I think they had four players that sat that night. So um, don't need to talk a whole lot about that game. Uh, they they the first half was close. I think they had like a five point lead going into the half, and then uh, they just ratcheted up and out out you know outplayed and out talented and out hustled uh, the the. Uh, Dallas reserves um, and came away with their first blowout win in a long time. But I, this is what I have to say about that from the coach's perspective. And I've said it a couple of times on the podcast. I've mentioned it a couple of times on Twitter. Um, I, I got a couple catchphrases as a coach uh, and a couple of uh, philosophies that I feel like you have to have um, in order to play consistent winning basketball. And I always say step one to winning a basketball game is to play as hard or harder than your opponent. Step two to winning a basketball game is to play as smart or smarter than your opponent. Um, I feel like the first half Dallas played, and, and you expected that, a lot harder than the Timberwolves. The Timberwolves just had infinitely more talent on the floor. But I feel like Dallas was in the game because those guys were playing hard from the opening tap. I feel like in the second half, the Wolves matched Dallas's effort level, and then the talent just took over from there. Because, you know, if you're the less talented team, you can play harder than your opponent and you can play smarter than your opponent. But if your opponent just, you know, matches 90% of that, they play almost as hard as you and almost as smart as you, then their talent gap is going to take over. In the second half, I feel like the Wolves played as hard as Dallas and as smart as Dallas if not smarter than Dallas. And that's how you end up with a big time 30 point, you know, almost 30 point blowout uh, in the second half. And it was just as simple as that. You know, only way Dallas was going to have a chance of winning that game is if the Wolves didn't play hard at all and they didn't play smart at all. Um, and then in the second half, the Wolves played hard and they played smart. And so therefore you have the blowout. The other phrases that I like to use when I'm coaching is if you're watching and waiting, you're not winning. If you're lazy and loafing, you're likely losing. Um, being a poet, I love alliteration. Um, and that kind of leads us into the fourth quarter of the Orlando game, because I don't know there's much else that needs to be said about the, the Dallas game. It was the Wolves against the Dallas's G League squad, and it was at home, and it was what we expected it to be. Except for, I will point out that, you know, Anthony Edwards 
did not have a game in which he was offensively aggressive at all. Um, and he walked, you know, he leaves that game, did even make it to double digit. No, he leaves that game taking five shots, scoring nine points on three of five shooting, um, five assists, five rebounds. Uh, he played 30 minutes, so it wasn't like he didn't play a lot of minutes. But uh, I, you know, they they mentioned again. Uh, you know, I listen to Dane Moore pretty regularly, um, and him and Britt were on, and you know, they mentioned that. You know, Dane said he felt like Ant was playing at about 14% capacity during that game. And I think Britt said like 30% capacity or something like that. But either way, you could tell it was a game that he was not really interested in doing much more than he felt like was necessary for his team. You know, Cat comes out of there with 29, 9, and 4. And we talk about how many games the Timberwolves lost to bad teams last year. And I think that is absolutely synonymous with how many games Cat didn't play last year. And I just feel like, you know, if Cat had been playing a full season last year, they probably still would have lost some games to some bad teams because they did even with Cat. But I don't think the number would have been nearly as high as it was because he tends to feast off of bad teams as opposed to Ant that tends to be disinterested when playing bad teams. And I think this was another case of Cat and Rudy's maturity. Mike Conley as well, If when you look at his line, their maturity not allowing them to even uh, give Dallas a sniff at an opportunity to win the basketball game. And so I do want to point out that I think one of the differences between this year and last year when it comes to dropping those oh no games against a lot of bad teams is Carl Anthony Towns is on the floor playing for the Wolves where last year he was in the training room. Um, Moving on to the Orlando Magic. My, my, my. Where do we begin? Another fourth quarter meltdown. Another game in which they go into the fourth quarter with an eight-point lead, and I believe Joe Ingles gets a deep three to bounce off of the front of the rim, bounce straight up in the air, and land through the net as the opening basket to start the fourth quarter. And as soon as that shot went in, I kind of went, here we go with this BS. And uh, sure enough, immediately that eight-point lead was gone. I think 6-0 run right out the gate, um, a turnover by Cat, uh, a bad turnover by Kyle Anderson, um, you know, early in the fourth quarter that gets that snowball rolling down the side of the mountain. And by the time it hits the chalet, it's an avalanche and everybody's suffocated under snow. Um between the turnovers, the offensive rebounds, like when you look at that fourth quarter against Orlando, turnovers early, offensive rebound for key bucket late, a lot of late shot clock initiation, a lot of missed opportunities to get off the ball and move it early by Ant, a lot of horrible shot selection. It was like everything that, you thought maybe they had learned by winning in the fourth quarter against Oklahoma City. They just threw out the window and reverted right back to the San Antonio fourth quarter. It's just unbelievable how they can't seem to focus from game to game through a fourth quarter and get themselves out of the same bad habits and 
you know, it starts with the kids. And I'm going to go ahead and let you uh, uh, speak on it, Lance. And then I took some notes for this podcast about that fourth quarter specifically, and I kind of want to run down my notes. But I'm going to go ahead and let you uh, share your thoughts. I know you said you didn't get a chance to really check out the fourth quarter against Orlando. But, you know, what, what do you think of when you hear me say what I just said without even having watched the game? <laughs> um, well, I, I was actually um, – I was in the movie theater during the time they were playing Orlando. We went and seen The Chosen, which I highly recommend. If you don't know what it is, just Google it. Um, and I pulled up – you know, we went in to the movie theater. Um, they were – it was like a I think, 12, 13, 14-point game. Um, and I kept checking in. Well, fourth quarter, um, I got an alert on my phone saying that the Wolves were starting the fourth quarter. Um, and I looked at the score, and you know they had the lead. And then I kept kind of checking in about every three or four minutes or so, and the lead just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And, I mean, I've, I've watched enough Timberwolves. I know what the – culprit was and i was actually watching the play-by-play too so i seen you know what was happening um a lot of missed shots a lot of turnovers um offensive rebounds every time i see an offensive rebound in the last five minutes of a game it is absolutely killer um and so i saw a few of those um and you know i can only i can only go off of what i saw um on the play-by-play but I, I know, you know, we've seen it already. We've seen it happen. Um, we've seen the avalanche. And there, <laughs> it's something that, like you said, I'm glad that they're going through now um, because it is going to determine how far they make it in the playoffs. They're going to be in every game. They're not going to get blown out. Um, oftentimes their defense is going to allow them to have the lead going into those moments. Um, but it's we've seen it with Dallas. We've seen it with Boston. We've seen it with... Um, the star players, it just seems like their star players make the right decisions in crucial moments, and ours are still trying to figure it out. And that's typically, you know, it's expected, but as we've talked about, the Timberwolves are in a win-now situation. They, they, they can't afford to keep everybody for the years to come, um, and so it's something that obviously needs to be figured out sooner than later. Um, it's unfortunate that it happened. I watched it happen, and uh, yeah, they... Ant, Ant is. I said it last week. He's got so much going on mentally that he he. I feel like just doesn't really know what to do right now, and well, that this is where Chris Finch is really going to have to work in the, in these times. But I, I want to share a couple uh, things with the listeners um, that uh, I saw on Twitter that I think really speak to some things we have been talking about as it relates to that. Um, first off, Mike Conley was asked by Dane Moore. Well, I, Dane Moore posted. I'm not sure if he asked the question or somebody else. Uh, but the question was about the right amount of offensive structure um, that's best for the team. And I've been saying for quite a while now that they are actually running offensive plays and that to the untrained I that doesn't really know what an offensive play from an NBA team looks like. It might look like they're not playing with a lot of structure. It might look like they're not running a lot of plays, but they are. And part of the reason it doesn't look like it is because the players are not executing the plays the way that they're designed to be executed. And that starts with – 
making the first read and making the right read. And I talked in the past about how even on our high school team, we run sets and every set has multiple reads and multiple options. And so the bottom line is the player with the ball has to initiate and make the right read out of the set. And then the players all react from that. And one of the things that's happening is by Anthony Edwards looking so much for the play to be for him to get his own shot, he's holding the ball too long, and then it upsets the rhythm of what everybody else is trying to do within that set. And um, I bring that up because this is Mike Connolly's response. Well, that's the thing. We've been walking the line. We've actually had a lot more structure. It's still about us as individuals on our team taking that responsibility of, hey, make the right play. Coach puts us in a situation. We have two reads. Make the read on time. Shoot it, pass it, drive it, whatever it may be. But if we don't do that, we hold on to it. We make it a little bit tougher, and we can't fall back on coach or anybody else. It's on us as players, and how do we fix that individually and continue to work on that as players? Now, I'm not in the Timberwolves locker room, but I know what I'm looking at when I'm watching basketball, and I've been saying this for weeks now and i've been saying it consistently to people on twitter who are like finch's fourth quarter offense what are we going to do about finch finch this again finch that again and i'm like it's not chris finch it's the players and mike Connolly is saying it's on us as the players and you know obviously you're not going to throw anybody under the bus but we know who's holding the ball too damn long and we know who's not making the right read because in all city games when said player made the right read, they had no problem scoring down the stretch of that game. When said player, and, and on top of that, said player was the beneficiary with their own scoring a lot easier. A wide open three and a wide open dunk with an unclogged lane by making the right read and the right play on time. So if you just do the right thing, it fixes itself. You know, and then people are saying, well, you know, how does, you know, Chris Finch needs to hold them accountable. And I've been saying the outcome is the accountability. You're not going to pull your 22-year-old all-star in the fourth quarter of games at a time when you're the number one team or number one 1A team in the West to try to prove a point. You fix it in film. You fix it in practice. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, Chris Finch has been spicy lately. He has been hot in post games when they lose these games. He's been hot in uh, in in post practice interviews, and he keeps saying the same thing. And it sounds like he's at that point where he's really tired of repeating himself. And also, you know, players are also playing for personal accolades. There's financial bonuses that come in to the making the all-star team. There's personal bonuses that come into making all NBA. There's personal bonuses that come into making all defense. Like there's bonuses in their contracts for these things. The all-star game being a really big one that affects, I think, how a lot of players play when they're on that all-star bubble during the first half of the season. Players know putting up big numbers and putting up big numbers in the fourth quarters gets you all-star nods. So I'm very curious. And Chris Finch has been one who's expressed that, you know, part of playing in the NBA is about getting them checks. It's about getting that next contract. It's about setting your family up for, you know, legacy money. Right. 
And so it'll be interesting to see how now that the all-star game, you know, players have been selected and that cat's making it, ant's making it. I think ant being the big one um, in terms of how he plays versus how Chris Finch holds him accountable. Okay. You made your second straight all-star game. You got that all-star game bonus check. Now I need you to start making the right plays and be more about winning than you are about your numbers in the fourth quarter. Like you, you've proven the point. Now, now is when Chris Finch starts to hold Anthony Edwards really accountable. Now is when you might see a Nikhil Alexander Walker sub for an Anthony Edwards or Anthony Edwards coming back in the fourth quarter instead of at around the seven minute mark when he usually does. Maybe if Nikhil's playing really well and Ant's been struggling up until that point to make the right plays coming out of the third quarter, maybe you see Ant's not come back until the four minute mark. Now you start. Now you might start to see some of that accountability in a different way. Um, I want to move mm-hmm. forward because um, also on Dane Moore's post, uh, he said Britt Robson uh, asked Chris Finch about, um, you know, um, s- some of the uh, accountability with late game offense and structure, and Chris Finch said uh, basically. He, the question was about, are there still reads within that structure, like more reads that the players have to make? And Chris Finch said, absolutely. I think two things happen at that point. One is, first of all, we have a few sets that we are really that we feel are really good and have been good to us close, close get to close games with. They involve getting our best players the ball in space, in action. When that happens, they have to make the right play. That is paramount to any basketball play. Okay, if they dust off the play and just go ISO, then we don't know what's coming next oftentimes. So the rhythm of the offense just falls down. Maybe we turn it over. Maybe we get caught in poor transition. Certainly, we maybe don't get a good shot. That That's one. At that point in time, my breaking point is I don't give them the ball at the end of games. I think the ball has to be back in Mike's hands a lot more at the end of games, and that's something you'll see differently coming up here and that speaks to what I just got done talking about. Okay, and you made the All-Star game. Okay, we've given you the ball a lot in fourth quarters lately, and it's not bearing the type of fruit with any consistency that we need it to bear. So now, from a coaching standpoint, it's not about getting Ant to the All-Star game. It's, you know, it's about winning games. I don't think it's about getting Ant All-NBA in that bonus. One, I don't think the Timberwolves would be in good shape financially if they have to pay Ant an All-NBA bonus check. But more importantly than that, Chris Finch can't worry about Anthony Edwards making All-NBA if Anthony Edwards isn't making All-NBA making the right plays. Chris Finch has now got to focus on being the number one seed going into the playoffs and winning a championship. So it's not about Anthony Edwards' ego anymore, and it's not about his numbers anymore. It's about winning. And I think very subtly that's the statement that Chris Finch just made in that statement. Now, to go back to what Chris Finch was talking about even further, I'd like to point out a play in the fourth quarter against Orlando, uh, actually two plays in which Anthony Edwards has the ball and they speak to what Chris Finch was talking about. One of them, I believe I marked at the 526 mark of the fourth quarter. Ant runs a pick and pop with uh, Cat and 
Cat pops to the top of the key and basically draws to Cat's man sinks in deeper than the elbow in order to prevent Ant's drive. And Ant holds on to the ball instead of making the pass back to Cat for the wide open top of the key three right away. And even Jim Peterson on the broadcast says, you have to make that pass right away. I'm quoting Jim Pete says, you got to make that pass right away. You know, and those are the types of things that Chris Finch is talking about. The other play that I think is even more um, indicative of um, what we're talking about is at the two-minute mark. Now it's really crunch time. Uh, I believe that the Timberwolves are down by two at this point in time, um, or three, one of the two. Two-minute mark, Finch runs a set play. Now this is the second. Now both of these plays that I'm mentioning were set plays. For those of you who want to see more set plays, he runs a set play to get at the ball in space coming downhill off of a dribble handoff. Cat is in the opposite corner. For those of you that want to see Cat parked in the corner more as a spot-up shooter, Chris Finch has designed exactly what the fans on Twitter and the people listening to Dane Moore and Dane Moore and Britt Robson himself and Rudy Gobert talking about he wish Cat would go into the corner more. Chris Finch is doing exactly what the people have been asking for. And the play is set up beautifully. You guys don't know what I'm talking about. Go back to the two-minute mark of the game against Orlando in the fourth quarter and watch the play because I'm going to describe it for you. Ant comes around the corner off the handoff from Rudy. He's coming downhill with space until there's not space. And there's not space because Orlando pinches all the way in off the corner, leaving Cat in the corner. It's easy. All Ant has to do is take one attack, dribble toward the middle of the floor, and make a simple kick-out chest pass to Cat in the corner. Jonathan Isaac is pulled all the way over. Ant sees the help pulled all the way over, stops on the dribble, tries to go back the other direction, and then tries a late pass to Rudy when he absolutely can't find a shot that gets tipped out of bounds, and it ends up staying Timberwolves' ball Conley ends up missing a floater on that possession. Yeah, it's a shot Mike Conley probably has to make, but more importantly, it's a shot that he never should have had to take because the play was there, designed the way Finch drew it up for Ant to come around that corner, and if Jonathan Isaac stays home on Cat, Ant's got a free run to the rim. If Jonathan Isaac does what he does and pulls all the way over to the paint off a of cat, you have the self-proclaimed best shooting big in the history of the game, shooting 40-plus percent from the three-point line on the season, ready to catch and shoot a wide-open, uncontested three-point shot in the corner, and it's a simple-ass playing pass to make. And Ant so focused on getting his own shot instead of making the right play that he never makes the pass and the Timberwolves never score on the possession. And those are two examples of what Chris Finch and Mike Conley are talking about and their quotes that Dane Moore posted on his Twitter feed in terms of making the right play, making the right play on time, not holding the ball, looking for your own ISO, and just playing out the options the way the set is designed. And for those of you who are asking for more Chris Finch sets, my rebuttal is we need to be asking for Ant to be more responsible in running Chris Finch sets and stop being so I want to take the shot heavy and start being more let's just play the game the way the game is designed to be played heavy i'm off that soapbox for the moment <laughs> uh i don't have any thoughts because what you said is very accurate um it's you know i don't i don't even need to add anything to that 
Um, it's 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 you guys can go back and watch it. You know, this is exactly why you started this podcast. This is why I am the player's mind and you are the coach's mind. Um, the breakdown that you just gave is beautiful, and I hope that people understand that this is this is why what we talk about is special. Because um, you're you're not going to find a lot of people that can break down what you just did um, that that uh, precisely with that much um, accuracy. I know you got to get ready to go pretty soon here. Um, so and I'm, I'm going to run down some more fourth quarter things before we go ahead and talk about the week that was um, and also talk a little bit about uh, a great article by Chris Hine in the Star Tribune talking about kind of what we've been talking about for the last few weeks on the podcast here, which is, you know, the Rudy Gobert trade was made because, as Draymond Green said, the Timberwolves believe Anthony Edwards is ready right now. And from what we're seeing from both him and Jaden, really since the start of the year, maybe the question should be asked, and Chris Hine kind of asked this question in his article, maybe they're not ready. And maybe, you know, although they're getting great learning experiences that might bear a lot of fruit for them a couple years from now, it might just turn out, um, and history is against them, um, as Chris Hine very eloquently points out in the article, and I'm going to actually... uh, go deeper, dive a little bit deeper on for the rest of this show. It might just be that the basketball maturity that we are asking from these two young players, these two young wings, 22 and 23 years old, when you're talking about Ant and Jaden, it might just be more than they are capable of at this stage in their career. Um, because I'm going to run down the rest of that fourth quarter. And, you know, with the exception of, you know, a couple you know, uh, I already talked about the missed floater by Connolly, which is a shot that, you know, he he's just got to make. Um, you know. Real quick, before you go into that, let me, I just want to add this before I got to go. Um, during the offseason, Chris Finch talked about the fact that the Tim Rules are returning basically the same team, which we've talked about before. <laughs> it was going to get them those extra games early on in the year while everyone else is trying to figure it out. We are now past that. We are now at the point where everyone else is figuring it out. Everyone else is getting better. Everyone else is finding themselves. And the Wolves are actually doing the opposite. Um, they are. They looked like they had their identity. Um, and they. I feel like they did. But the other teams were so focused on finding their identity that they weren't ready to game plan and look for what the Timberwolves were falling short in. Um, and so they were able to get away with a lot. Their defense was able to... Um, be so stifling because the offenses were doing very similar to what the Wolves offense is doing right now, which is trying to figure out who to go to when, when to make the right play, who's going to make the big shots, all those things. And now we're halfway through the season and the Wolves um, (laughs) are their offense and their decision-making is becoming very prevalent because the other teams are starting to figure it out. Um, And so they're at a very crucial moment right now. Um, I know the all-star break is coming up, but they are at a crucial pivotal moment in their season because if they don't get the things figured out and they don't figure out this fourth quarter scoring, they could very easily find themselves winding up in fourth, fifth place in the West before you blink an eye because right now the difference between first and fourth is one game. Amen. I mean, look here. May all of the people of the basketball gods tabernacle congregation say amen. (laughs) (laughs) 
I, I so, can't. I, I think what you just said is a very strong point. Their continuity absolutely um, bought them a hot start, and I think other teams are now finding their legs. Even the bad teams are starting to figure out why they're bad and 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 work on how to be better. Um, and the Timberwolves are now at that stage where they have to start making adjustments to the adjustments, and I think the biggest adjustment has to be made by the kids. Um, what you just said, I think, absolutely is spot on in terms of where the league is at right now in general with their teams. I think the Clippers are as good of an example of that as anybody um, and where the Timberwolves are at. And now, you know, things that maybe their defense was able to mask um, are catching up to them. And and, and again, uh, without even having read it, because I know you haven't read it, what you just said is basically what Chris Finch was talking about in all of those interviews is getting back to their identity, not letting their defense, their offense affect their defense, because as you very well know, as a player, your offense can absolutely tank your defense and your defense can take your off, can tank your offense. And I think this Timberwolves are in a situation right now where, uh, especially with the kids, again, their offensive struggles are affecting their defensive play. I'm going to actually get into that when you leave and talk more about this fourth quarter. And I say the 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 one player that has been consistent, absolutely consistent in their defensive effort and playing the same way no matter what's going on on offense, whether they're getting touches, not getting touches, and being a super consummate professional is Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Ooh. That <laughs> would put Rudy ahead in the kill. But to me, Rudy and the kill are almost two birds of a feather. They're both very cerebral, very studious, very serious people when it comes to their approach outside of basketball. And I know Rudy can be goofy and all of that, but he is very serious about basketball. And I think the yeah. kill is very serious about preparation, about life. Um, and so I, and of course, Mike Conley, you know, is the, is the ultimate vet. I do think Mike's getting worn down. Yep. I think there's some of that and we'll talk a little bit about that, but I think right now more than anybody, the team needs to follow Rudy Gobert's lead. Um, I got to get out of here. Um, keep yes, giving sir. people all this, all these knowledgeable tidbits. Um, and I will be back next week. Man, uh, have a good service, uh, and I will look forward to talking to you more throughout the week as we prepare for next week. Lance Gardner, Yes Trees owner, uh, it's not too late to get your trees serviced, uh, trimmed, removed, whatever it may be. Um, also, the co-host of the Coach and the Culture podcast, and more importantly, my son, and it's his 28th birthday today. Happy birthday, Lance Gardner. Uh, 28 years ago, I was writing a poem called The Contract as I sat there and watched you lay in the hospital bed surrounded by big fluffy white pillows and white sheets and white blankets. And, and you were just the most adorable little thing, changing my entire life and my entire world. And here we are on this journey together, father and son, 28 years later. And I can't be more proud of you, man. Have a wonderful birthday. Thank you. It's a blessing to be able to do this with my father. So I love you, man. Love you too. Peace. All right. Take care. On that note, I'm going to continue with the podcast because I got to get back to breaking down this fourth quarter against Orlando. <laughs> you know what I mean? Co you know what I mean? Cool. And it's all good. Um, so we already talked a little bit about some of 
an example of what Chris Finch and Mike Conley were talking about on uh, the coverage of Dane Moore on his Twitter feed. Um, and I want to thank Dane for for uh, putting that public and allowing his in the locker room access to help us uh, make a better show for you all. So big shout outs to Dane, big shout outs to Johnny K, big shout outs to Chris and uh, Hine, and big shout outs to to uh, uh, Kyle and all of the people that Dane has on his show to Britt um, because. Uh, I try not to listen to those guys too much before we podcast because I want my thoughts to stay uh, pretty much untainted. But I do listen to all of those guys and uh, sometimes or I read their Twitter feeds and and sometimes it just all makes sense for stuff that we've been talking about on the podcast. So if uh, if you're new to the Timberwolves podcast world or the Timberwolves sports writer world, I can't imagine you being so if you're a fan. But if you are new, please check out all of the podcasts because there is a little bit of knowledge, information and nuggets to be gained from everybody who is a fan or follower of the show, Boy Links, um, Crunch Wears No Pants, um, CND, um, I, uh, Flagrant Howls. I listen to all of them, Howls and Growls, uh, Jake Painting. I listen to and read everybody. So, side note, getting back to this particular podcast, The Coach and the Culture podcast, I want to go back to some other notes about the fourth quarter of that Orlando game as we talk about recurring themes that keep happening to the Timberwolves um as they struggle down the stretch of games um one of the things that was interesting about the fourth quarter was i believe outside of the one play in which he turned the ball over i, I don't remember very many cat touches in the fourth quarter um and uh chris finch mentioned that in this post game that maybe he should have ran more post-ups for cat i believe he did get one post up in the and one and then right after that he shot an air ball and then shortly after that um he had the turnover, and then I don't remember Cat really touching the ball again. I know there were times he was supposed to touch the ball, and we've already talked about that. Ant not passing it to him twice, once on the pick and pop, the other time on the um, the side-to-side uh, 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 -side dribble handoff action, getting Ant coming downhill where the play was to kick it to a wide-open Cat in the corner. Um so another reason you're going to struggle in the fourth quarter is when Carl Anthony Towns doesn't touch the ball at all. Um, and so, and then also Mike Conley had a couple plays in which he struggled in the fourth quarter. Not that he had a bad fourth quarter, um, because when he initiates offense, they tend to get good things. He initiated offense, screen and roll with Rudy. He got Rudy to the free throw line a couple of times, um, but he also missed uh, a clutch three late off of the Jaden McDaniels missing, getting his own rebound and kicking out. And he missed a really critical box out late. So, you know, now those are those veteran plays that you don't see Mike uh, put, miss very often. That box out that I'm talking about on Jonathan Isaac, where Jonathan Isaac got the key tip in uh, to keep uh, give, giving Orlando a four point lead and a little bit of separation there. Um, and so it wasn't a great fourth quarter by Mike Conley, not nearly as bad as the kids by any stretch. But, um, you know, we need Mike to be better. I believe he was one for nine from the game. 
Um, and there's no coincidence that in games that Mike Conley really, really struggles, the Timberwolves lose. I think he's in the top five in um, players who, when they're when he scores over 10 points for their team, their record is X amount of games over 500. I believe I saw that stat where Mike Conley's uh, one of the top five or six players in the league in terms of when he scores over 10 points, the Timberwolves have like an 80% win percentage or something crazy like that. So um, that speaks to the value of Mike Conley when he plays and when he struggles, um, he has to be perfect. You know, when the kids are struggling and uh, when the kids struggle like they did in the fourth quarter and Mike Conley makes a couple uncharacteristic plays, it's a tough road to hold. Um, the five uh, or uh, the, the 651 mark is what I have it. I feel like my timestamp is off on that, but I didn't double check it. And this is uh, after Ant picks up the technical foul on a play in which he drives to the basket and complains. And of all the plays that Ant complains about, that wasn't really one to complain. He kind of created the contact. It was, in this case, I hate to use the phrase, but it really was marginal contact and most of that contact created by Ant. So I thought it was a bad complaint by Ant, probably more frustrated that his jump shot wasn't falling and probably more frustrated that he wasn't really getting the flow that he wanted throughout the game. Um, but more importantly, he comes back down on the other end after you give up the one point for the technical, which puts Orlando up one, then you don't come down the box out or crash the boards. And because of that, you got Rudy being left to try to box out too after going over to help. And so basically your lack of urgency, there's that word again, sense of urgency, your lack of urgency immediately after picking up a tech and going to a defensive rebound allows Orlando to get an offensive rebound and then you commit the foul. And so they get two free throws out of that. So in essence, Ant negatively accounts for five points. He misses the drive to the rim on the offensive end picks up the technical, then doesn't go box out or go rebound, allowing an offensive rebound. Then he commits the foul, which he has to because he's out of position after the offensive rebound, and Orlando gets three points on that possession. One for the Tech, two points for the two made free throws. That's a five-point swing all on Anthony Edwards in the fourth quarter. And I don't mean to pick on Ant, but I'm basically saying in general, when the kids play bad in the fourth quarter of games, opposite of what they did at Oklahoma City in the fourth quarter, the Timberwolves generally lose those games. And if you look at the meltdowns they've had in the fourth quarters lately, a lot of it you can point the finger at mistakes by Anthony Edwards and Jaden McDaniels. Um, continuing on, the 5.30 mark of the fourth quarter. Anthony Edwards is playing great defense on Wagner. I believe it's Franz Wagner. Has him locked up. Wagner goes left, gets cut off. Goes right, gets cut off. Tries to spin back left, gets cut off. Ant's locking him up. And for some reason, inexplicably, Jaden McDaniels leaves Paolo Bancaro, who's in the short corner at the time, leaves him, turns his back to him, goes to do a half-hearted double team against Wagner, where Ant, Absolutely needs no help. He's got him locked up. There's no reason for Jaden to make the decision to go and help off of Bancaro and double on Wagner, who's in a in jail 20 feet from the basket against Anthony Edwards. He gives Wagner out. He hits a putting cutting Bancaro and he gets an easy two points at the rim with the shot clock grinding down. Just an unexplicable defensive. Bonehead move by Jaden. I could see if Wagner beats Ant and he's got to help and cut off a gap. 
but he just goes in backside doubles for no reason at all and gives up two points for his team. Um, you know, on the flip side, you come back, I believe it was Oklahoma's next possession. They involve Jaden and Rudy in screen and roll game. And Jaden makes a great defensive play, um, stops the pocket pass, knocks it off of uh, Orlando player foot and causes a turnover. So it's like when Jaden's dialed in, you get the good. When Jaden's not dialed in, you get the bad. That defensive possession, along with a decent one in which he forced Bancaro to miss a pull-up really late in the game that gave the Wolves an opportunity down two to take the lead with a couple three-point shots that missed, um, were about the only decent plays Jaden McDaniels made the entire fourth quarter. Rebounding, making defensive decisions, making offensive decisions. You know, he played almost the whole quarter. I can think of two plays that he made a good play on. Maybe one, one or two plays. Um, and that's just not good enough, you know. Um, another play, uh, Ant comes off a high ball screen at the 426 mark from Rudy, uh, comes flying off the screen and shoots a pull-up three-point shot. There was 10 seconds left on the shot clock at the time that he takes that shot. It's not a horrible shot, aside from the fact that, you know, People got on Stephen A. Smith for saying that Anthony Edwards has got to work on that jump shot and get it a little bit better. And Ant came out to start the season like a house on fire uh, from the three-point line. He since tailed off um, quite a bit. People were really angry at Stephen A. Smith's comment and went back to quoting Ant's three-point percentage in the playoff series against Denver. Um, Stephen A. Smith is absolutely right. Anthony Edwards is a okay three-point shooter. He's a quality, tough shot maker, but that step from at crunch time, being able to make those Jason Tatum type three point shots that you see him make far, you know, so many times uh, being able to make those Devin Booker three point shots. You see him make so many times those Jamal Murray three point shots. You see him make so many times and could make an uptick on his three point shooting, especially down the stretches of games. And you starting to see that of late. Uh, but again, he makes that shot against Oklahoma City, huge shot. He misses that shot against Orlando. So it wasn't a bad shot, but Ant does have to work on that consistency. Um, also, with 10 seconds left on the shot clock, perhaps there was a better shot. But if you're going to take that shot and you're an all-star, you got to make that shot. Okay. Um, coming out of the timeout, Oklahoma City comes out of a timeout, and they immediately, this is after Ant misses that shot, um, Oklahoma City calls timeout. They come out of the timeout. They put Anthony Edwards in screen game uh, against Wagner. Uh, he goes over the top of the screen, totally gets lost in separation. Wagner puts him in jail on the backside and goes and gets an uncontested layup. Um, bad screen navigation by Ant. No coincidence that Orlando decided to attack Ant's screen navigation coming out of the timeout. So going back to what Lance talked about in terms of that continuity earned the Wolves some wins earlier in the season. Now teams are starting to attack things that they are not great at. Who are they attacking? They are attacking the kids. They are attacking Ant and they are attacking Jaden. So coming out, so we got a technical by Ant, a missed box out by Ant. 
Oklahoma City attacks Ant coming out of a timeout and goes and gets an uncontested layup. Ant probably should have went under the screen, considering how high out on the floor the screen was set and Ant's ability to get under and back around. Instead, he chases around the, the backside of the screen. Just a bad defensive play. And you give up an uncontested layup with four minutes left in the game. Good execution by Orlando. Very bad defensive execution by Anthony Edwards um, attacking the kids. Um, the 230 mark. We talked last week on the show. I was adamant. Jaden McDaniels, Anthony Edwards, Kyle Anthony Towns, Kyle Anderson, those guys have got to stop throwing bullet late passes to Rudy Gobert from three feet away when he's crashing, looking for you to shoot the ball. His hands are up. His head's up. He's looking to get the offensive rebound. And then these guys are firing a pass at him from three feet away, oftentimes no look. And he's not going to catch that pass. We've talked about it. We've seen it time and time again. It's on the players to understand that is not a good pass to Rudy Gobert. He's not catching that pass. He's not even looking for you to pass the ball in that situation. 230 mark. They run a great action. Jaden runs a great dive cut. He's at the rim, and then he throws a bullet to Rudy from two feet away. Of course, Rudy's not going to catch that pass. We've already talked about how he's not going to catch that pass. It's a critical turnover with two minutes and 25 seconds left in the game. That's You just got to grow out of that. Like I'm sure you've seen it on film enough times. I'm sure it's been talked about enough times in practice. You can't make that pass. You're 6'11 and you're at the rim. You force up a shot or you make a kickout pass back to the perimeter. That is a horrible decision to make that pass to Rudy. And it's not like this is you're new playing with Rudy and you don't know that's a bad pass to make to Rudy. You know better by now. You're just making an instinct play as opposed to making the basketball IQ play. Again, attacking the kids. On the flip side... When the kids get it right, good things happen. 218 mark, very next possession. Ant's got the ball on the left side of the up the lane line. Orlando is sagged in off of Jaden McDaniels. Ant gets off of it early, on target, on time, big time three by Jaden McDaniels. Lance and I just talked about it. Those shots go in when the pass comes out on target, on time, in offensive rhythm, and Ant's not over-dribbling, and the players never know when the ball is coming. It's hard to make shots when you don't know when the ball is coming to you. But when you can anticipate when the ball is coming to you and you're shot ready, you knock it down. Okay, And there's an example of that later um, where Jaden gets a pass that he doesn't know when the ball is coming to him, and he misses. And that was the big possession in which they're down two, and they run high screen game with Ant and Rudy Gobert. Forty eight seconds left to go in the game. Um, oh, let me before I go back to that, I apologize. Let me backtrack. Okay, the possession after Ant doesn't make the simple kick out pass to Cat, and the possession ends with the Connolly miss floater with the shot clock winding down. The very next possession, Orlando comes down the court, and Jonathan Isaac is all the way out past the three-point line. Uh, Connolly is guarding him. I believe the Wolves might have even been in a zone. And shot goes up from inside the paint, and Mike Connolly just turns and walks toward the lane, not veteran-like at all. Doesn't even check off to see if Jonathan Isaac is crashing when Mike knows better. You got to know that Jonathan Isaac is not going to sit out there on the perimeter when that shot goes up. His only job is to play defense and get rebounds. 
That's literally his job description. And so you've got to go out and meet him and keep him from ever getting into the paint if you're Mike Conley. Instead, he just turns around and looks up in the air and waits to see what the ball is going to do. The cardinal sin of defensive rebounding at every level. And Jonathan Isaac swoops in there and he gets a tip in, put back, and now you know, you're down four. And that's why I said Mike Conley did not exactly have a great play, uh, a great um, fourth quarter. He does come down the very next possession, initiates high screen game with Rudy, 18 seconds on the shot clock when he starts to play. That's critical. Again, we talked about how the difference between the Wolves is when Mike Conley initiates late uh, game offense, he's often doing it early in the shot clock, giving the team time to have multiple options. When Ant's initiating late game, he often is doing it late in the shot clock, although he's been a little bit better since the San Antonio Spurs game, um, that being the Oklahoma City game. And even uh, the game against Orlando, he didn't wait as long to initiate offense. But Mike goes into offense with 18 seconds, and he gets Rudy coming downhill on the roll in Orlando forced to follow him or it's going to be an uncontested dunk kudos to Rudy he goes to the foul line makes two free throws now let's get back to the possession with 48 seconds left again I'm going to point this out a Chris Finch called set play for those of you who are like it's got to be Finch it's got to be Finch he's got to call more plays Finch is calling plays Mike Conley said he's calling plays Chris Finch has said he's calling plays they are calling plays the players have to execute Anthony Edwards gets a high screen from Rudy. Rudy rolls, and he is wide open with an uncontested open lane because this time Jonathan Isaac does stay at home on Carl Anthony Towns on, on the corner. And Rudy Gobert is open not once, not twice, but three times. He is wide open in the paint where all he's got to do is make, take one dribble and go dunk it. Or if they crash in, he can make an easy kick out to Cat from the corner. The play is set up and designed to work exactly how they're running it, except for the fact that Anthony Edwards keeps the ball. He does not give the ball up to Rudy. He keeps the ball hunting his shot, hunting his shot, hunting his shot. Finally, when he can't get a shot, he's forced to kick out to Jaden McDaniels. It's a late kick out to Jaden. It's probably not what Jaden was expecting. Yeah, he's shot ready and he shoots it and it's a quality shot. He just misses it. But if you're Jaden McDaniels, you see Rudy wide open. So you're expecting that ball to go to Rudy wide open. You're probably not expecting to get that ball from Ant. Ant gets himself into traffic and ends up having to kick out to Jaden McDaniels. And we've talked about this time and time again. It's no good for the other players on the team when you're making a pass because you have to make a pass because you've probed every option for a shot and couldn't find one because now there's no rhythm to when the ball comes to the your teammate. So anyway, I digress. Jaden misses the shot. It's not a bad look. It's bad rhythm. And then Jaden gets an offensive rebound, kicks out to Mike Conley, who's also wide open for a three. He misses. He's on a one-for-eight game up until that point in time. So this is the second time we've seen Mike on a horrible shooting night take a three-point shot in the clutch and miss it. You know, And again, on one hand, you want to say you can't blame Mike. On the other hand, it's like, yo, Mike, I know you're a vet. We know you're a clutch three-point shooter. Every player thinks the next shot is going in. That's the mentality you have to have. 
but now you're 0 for 2 on game tying or game or go ahead threes in a game in which you've been one for up until that point in the last minute of the game. But again, can't hate it. Don't exactly love it. Really, the play broke down when Anthony Edwards only down two didn't pass the ball to a wide open Rudy Gobert. Not once, but not twice, but three opportunities he could have gave the ball to Rudy for a dunk or an easy one more extra pass for a wide open shooter, Carl Anthony Towns being that shooter. So these are the things that Chris Finch is talking about. These are the things Mike Conley was talking about. These are the things that are killing their fourth quarter execution when they do it right. A la the Oklahoma City game, they win. When they do it wrong, a la the San Antonio game, a la the Orlando game, so many others we can point to, they lose. And it's the kids. It's the 22-year-old and the 23-year-old have to be better. They have to be more mature. Ant has to stop hunting his own shot to the detriment of the rhythm of the offense and the rhythm of the rest of the players. It's really that simple. I'm pretty sure that's what Chris Finch was spicy about in his comments to Britt, in his comments to, um, uh, uh, in his post game comments. Uh, you can tell he's heated. You can tell he's not happy. He talked about showing it to him on film. And I absolutely think you're going to see a lot more Mike Conley with the ball in his hands in the fourth quarters and coming down the stretch of games because now it's not about getting your all star nod and your all star bonus. You got that. If you want to be all NBA, you got to be better. But we can't afford to sacrifice games trying to get Anthony Edwards all NBA. We just can't. Timberwolves can't afford to sacrifice the games. It's too important right now. Before we get out of here, I just want to go to talking about Chris Hines' article again. I mentioned it before Lance had to leave. And he talked about how, you know, Jason Tatum, Devin Booker, um, those players were 24 years old when they were able to be the leading scorer on their team and lead their team to the NBA Finals. He said you got to go all the way back to 2001 in his article um, before you find somebody who was 22 years old who was nearly the leading scorer on their team. I think Kobe Bryant was like 0.2 points per game behind Shaq as the leading scorer of the Lakers before you find somebody who won the NBA championship that was 22 that was – at the top of their team's leading score per game uh, ledger. And, of course, the reason why the comparison ants 22, and you're seeing these late-game failures, and a lot of these late-game failures come with the ball in Anthony Edwards' hands as the primary initiator. Well, Anthony Edwards does not have what Kobe had. Kobe had this guy named Shaquille O'Neal. And that guy named Shaquille O'Neal could make up for a lot. And so... Um, where it really shone through was in the NBA Finals. They played the Philadelphia 76ers. That was the year Allen Iverson almost single-handedly carried the Sixers offense to the Finals. And a couple of differences that I want to make between what Kobe Bryant had and where Anthony Edwards is and why this is not a good omen for the Timberwolves' Finals chances if Anthony Edwards cannot figure out this late-game situation before they get into the playoffs because Anthony Edwards, although he has Carl Anthony Towns, he doesn't have Shaquille O'Neal. And Shaquille O'Neal was a whole nother type of animal. And in that final series, Shaq was the finals MVP. He averaged 33 points and 16 rebounds a game. If Carl Anthony Towns is going to average 33 points and 16 rebounds throughout the playoffs, yeah, the Timberwolves are probably going to win the finals. But that's not going to happen. 
I don't see Carl Anthony Towns averaging 33 points and 16 rebounds throughout the playoffs or in any one particular playoff series. Because as good as Carl Anthony Towns is, he's not the dominant, you know, generational human being that Shaquille O'Neal was. And then you look at Kobe's numbers in those finals. Kobe averaged 25 points a game rounding up in those finals, but on 41% shooting. If Anthony Edwards shoots 41% from the field during any playoff series, I don't think the Timberwolves are winning that series. So, you know, you start talking about the pressure that Anthony Edwards is under. You start looking at the defensive mistakes that you're seeing Jaden McDaniels make down the stretch of games that for every miss shot that he forces from um, from Bancaro or turnover that he creates, you have the fouls that he's committing or the missed box outs. Um, that 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 Jaden McDaniels is giving you, and you start to wonder if the kids are basketball mature enough to be ready. Because the other thing that Kobe Bryant at 22 years old had around him, besides Shaquille O'Neal on that 2001 team, let me just run off some of these names that were on that team: veteran Derek Schiff, Derek Fisher, veteran Rick Fox, three-time NBA champion veteran Horace Grant multi-time NBA champion, I think at the time, two-time NBA champion, veteran Robert Ory, veteran Brian Shaw. So you got Kobe Bryant surrounded by Derek Fisher, Rick Fox, Horace Grant, Brian Shaw, Robert Ory, and Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> that's, that's, that's some veterans that know how to win at crunch time. Big-time veterans. The shooting of Derek Fisher, Rick Fox, and Robert Ory. The defense of Horace Grant and Brian Shaw, right? So the Lakers were primed to win that title with a 22-year-old Kobe Bryant because 22-year-old Kobe Bryant could shoot 41%, take a bunch of bad shots. You got Shaquille O'Neal there to clean it up. You got Derek Fisher there to be like, okay, we're going to play through Shaq right now. You got Horace Grant there to clean it up. You got Robert, uh, you got Rick Fox and Robert Ory out there to make the clutch time shots. You know, so Anthony Edwards doesn't have quite that level of maturity and firepower around him. His running mate, Kobe Bryant's running mate, wasn't another 23-year-old kid. You know, so I think Chris Hines' article is a great article to talk about how, although the Wolves have expedited the learning curve by bringing in Rudy Gobert and Mike Conley, there's a lot of pressure, and and Lance has been talking about it the last couple of weeks on this podcast. There's a lot of pressure on Anthony Edwards to be um, basketball mature and basketball intelligent well beyond his 22 years and fourth year in the league. And this is, of course, coming from a guy who started playing basketball late in the game and who has never really played with a bunch of high-level basketball players, and I'll say it again, has never really won anything in basketball at the highest of levels. Who doesn't quite yet know how to win at a high level. And you're seeing some of that in fourth-quarter decisions. He still thinks the pathway to winning goes through him making or missing shots. And so... That's, you know, we're watching this all play out real time as Timberwolves fans and as basketball fans. We're watching the growth of Anthony Edwards and Jaden McDaniels as young men, both on and off the court, play out in real time. And so 
we, you know, the the, the hopes for the Wolves hinge on, can they figure it out by playoff time this year? Because I just don't think that Cat, Mike, and Rudy are enough to carry them to the finals without extremely mature fourth quarter playoff basketball by Anthony Edwards and by Jaden McDaniels. That's our show for this week. Next week, we will finally get back to concerning trends and hope it never ends. We're going to review the Rockets, the Bulls, and the Bucks. The Bulls and the Bucks both on the road. If the Rockets win, I mean, if the Timberwolves win tonight against the Rockets, that means Chris Finch and his staff will be the coaching staff for the All-Star game. Of course, congratulations to Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns, both named to the All-Star game. Um, on one hand, was Rudy snubbed for All-Star? Yeah. On the other hand, might we see Rudy get an All-NBA nod? My guess is if the Timberwolves finish, as the number one seed in the Western Conference, Rudy Gobert is going to be Defensive Player of the Year, and he's probably going to be third team All-NBA because Joel Embiid is not going to be eligible. And I think you will might see Rudy Gobert if the Timberwolves finish with the number one defense in the league and finish as the number one team in the Western Conference. I think you might see Rudy Gobert as third team All-NBA center and Defensive Player of the Year. And I think he would trade both of those um, I think he would trade an all-star nod for both of those any day of the week. So I think if you think Rudy got snubbed, maybe so. But I think that if the Timberwolves do what they're supposed to do or what they're doing so far, that's going to get made up for on the back end in the postseason awards. So, again, congratulations to Ant. Congratulations to Cat. Let's hope that they go ahead and right the ship and get a win against a young, hungry, athletic, talented Rockets team uh, going to the All-Star break with a win. Chris Finch be the coaching staff for the All-Star game. Anthony Edwards and Jaden McDaniels get a chance to kind of recalibrate themselves a little bit. And don't be surprised if coming out of the All-Star break, especially when you're looking at games that are likely to be close, initiating fourth quarter offense in the last six minutes of games you've been tuned in to the coach in the culture podcast i am coach frank for lance gardner who had to leave early and of course the super producer lloyd leon coop we will catch you guys next sunday we're recording the podcast usually drops on monday or tuesday on audible on uh, spotify on apple on Stitcher, and of course, next week we'll be recording on YouTube from the Dream Shop, 3701 Fremont Avenue North. Shout-outs to Markella, the owner of the Dream Shop. If you are looking for some Valentine's Day gifts for your love, go on down to the, green, to the Dream Shop, uh, 3701 Fremont Avenue North. Also, and if you're interested in catching me live, not basketball-related, but hosting, I'm on stage every Thursday night at the Green Room, hosting the hottest live band, open mic, poets and singers and comedians jam going on in the Twin Cities right now at the Green Room over in Uptown on Girard and Lagoon, Green Room, Minneapolis is their Instagram handle. Our Instagram handle is Coach Culture MPLS. You can hit us up on Twitter, Coach Culture 22. We will catch y'all next week. Thank you for listening. Peace.